Good morning, my friend. Hope you're doing well. It is Mind Change Monday. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, your host here on the Dr. Lee Warren Podcast, and we are helping each other learn the art of self-brain surgery to change our minds and change our lives. And today, we're going to go to an old throwback episode that I did about, of all things, the words that we speak about cussing and choosing different words. And the reason we're doing that is because I'm reading Max Lucado's new book. It's amazing, called Help Us Here about the Holy Spirit. And he had a little section in there about the the Welsh revival. There was a famous revival uh, in the UK uh, back in the 19th century. And basically, there was a story that Max told about how after this big revival, so many people came to Christ that the mines, the, the miners had a problem because they had trained their mules using so much um, vulgar language that the mules didn't know how to respond to their, voc- <laughs> their vocabulary after the miners stopped cussing so much. And I thought, man, that's remarkable. Like that they... they they had to retrain their animals because their language before they knew the Lord was so salty that the animals didn't have any words uh, to respond to after that. <laughs> and I thought, man, how many of us have uh, w- would have a revelation if, if our language, if we found out that people around us were so influenced by the words that we spoke? And it reminded me of Psalm 1914, which was one of our verses that we used uh, back in all in August. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Listen, there's a lot the Bible has to say about the words that we choose to speak. And I don't want you to get too hung up on it. I'm not saying you're going to go to hell if you say a cuss word. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's some real neuroscience and some real things to understand about how your brain responds to the language that you use and how the Lord expects us to think and speak in a way that will help other people. The whole purpose of us having expressed language is to worship and to lift up other people. It's the only reason you have a voice to begin with, okay? So I want to just give you back this episode and something to think about today. I hope that if, if you've radically changed your uh, viewpoint on how you speak, uh, that it would, um, wouldn't require you to change your animal's whole vocabulary. I hope that you, you have a little less salty vocabulary than that. But this will give you some things to think about as we go into Mind Change Monday. Let's just be careful with the words we speak, the meditation of our heart, and all these things. You might hear some, some sound in the background. Lisa's making an amazing soup, and uh, it's Sunday afternoon, and I'm just kind of busting out this podcast because I had it on my mind. And so I hope, um, I wish you could smell the soup. It's amazing. Hey, prayers for Idabel, Oklahoma. My hometown, Broken Bow, is the neighbor city to Idabel, Oklahoma. They had a huge tornado on Friday night that tore through there. Uh, a couple of my cousins lost their homes. There's a church and a hospital that were leveled, and at least one person died. And so send up some prayers from McCurtain County and the Idabel, Oklahoma area, and all the people that are dealing with the trauma and tragedy of the big storm, and, and that God will be with them in their hour of need. Hey, be careful with your words, okay? May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to God. And don't don't forget that you can't change your life until you change your mind. And one thing I want you to think about changing your mind about today is the words that we choose to speak. And Elise is going to tell us the good news, and that is that we can start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it, and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is, you can start today. 
Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you'd like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. You know, the words that we speak, Jesus said, reflect the interior design of what's going on in our heart. And so if you want to, I'm always saying you can't change your life until you change your mind. Well, Jesus says out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you really want to change your life, you got to get your interior house in order, right? Well, this is the third part. It's an episode we did a while back that's really about the, the neurobiology of what happens when you use curse words. So there's a certain set of words that, if you think about it, all of them refer either, most of the time, either to sexual things or defecatory things. Most of the curse words, either that or they something to do with, with God's name. And so the three words three types of words that we generally all people consider sort of swear language or cuss words. What happens in your brain when you use that kind of language and what happens in your brain when other people use that kind of language in a derogatory fashion toward you? It's an interesting conversation that we had a while back, just looking at the science of it and what the Bible has to say about it. So um, be a good opportunity to go back through remodeling our interior hearts by remodeling the things that we allow to come out of our mouths. Of course, we can't do that until we change our mind about the kinds of things that we're thinking about. So I thought it'd be a good time to bring that back. We'll move on to something else tomorrow. And we got, you know, 13 or so days left in this month to remodel all kinds of other parts of our lives. But today we're going to finish up with words. Here's that episode about the neurobiology and neuroscience of cussing. And then I'm going to bring you a Tommy Walker song that's kind of become my theme song right now. It's one of those songs I can't get out of my head. It's an old song of his, but it's called All About Your Glory. And and the, the song really is just I want to make my life all about your glory. I want to spend my days telling the world your story. It's just, it's about turning your inside around so that the outside becomes something that reflects God's love better and helps other people see him more clearly, which is really the whole reason that we're here. So I'm going to give you the neuroscience of cussing to finish up remodeling our words on day three here. And then I'm going to give you Tommy's song, All About Your Glory. Don't forget the prayer wall, wlewarnmd.com slash prayer. And I have a big announcement. This is this is cool to me. It's not earth shattering in the grand scheme of things, but we just crossed 500,000 all-time downloads of the podcast yesterday. Half a million downloads of my podcast, which is amazing to me. Um, now there's some you know, professional podcasters like Joe Rogan that get a million downloads a week, but the vast majority of sort of self-produced podcasts never get more than a few episodes and they disappear. They never get very many downloads. And, and it takes a lot of work to persevere with this. And um, got an email from Juliana Kelly, who's a great listener in Michigan, and she um, just give us some really good encouragement. And she said, you know, I, I, I imagine that there's probably been some times when you felt like this wasn't all worth it or that no one was listening. And I just want you to know that there there are people listening and it does make a difference and you're doing work that matters. And then when we hit, um, when we receive emails like that, it really makes just a world of difference. When we hear from Lisa Johnson, Billy, uh, that the Hope Center is listening, when we hear from you, it gives us a little more juice to carry on because I know this mission is important. And I love to hear from people like that. So thank you, 
Juliana, for the encouragement. Thank you, my friend, for half a million lifetime downloads. I can't wait to see what God does next with this show. And today we're going to be thinking about, for the third day in a row, remodeling our words. And all you have to do to get that done, my friend, is start today. So in the midst of all the stuff that's been going on, I had a couple of things happen that got me thinking about language. And not languages like Spanish or English, but the, the language that we use, the words, the the choice that we make to use certain types of words. And particularly, uh, I read a paper about the neuroscience of what happens when people cuss, when they use foul language. And it's interesting, it's, fa- it's sort of fascinating what happens in your brain when you uh, engage in foul language. And at the same time, I've lately been noticing that there's some movement in the Christian world on social media where a lot of Christian authors now, especially younger authors that I've been following, and some Christian influencers, artists, and and other people, are commonly using swear words in their posts now. Now, Back when I first started writing, my first book, uh, No Place to Hide, came out from Zondervan in 2014. And at that time, there was actually an official policy from Zondervan that they didn't publish swear words. If you had a a cuss word, any sort of foul word in your book, it was going to get scrubbed by editors. And now, um, there's a new book by Zondervan out that I'm following the author on social media. And this particular author commonly uses swear words in their posts on Instagram and Twitter every day. And it's sort of this idea that we need to be relevant to the world and use this kind of language that they use. And Christ can redeem that. And there's plenty of grace for people who, you know, even people who cuss and whatever. I'm not saying um, anything about this particular writer. I'm saying that it's interesting to me that in the course of six years, that a big-time, well-known Christian publisher is now allowing that when they didn't before. So my question, whenever a standard changes like that, is always like, well, did God change? Did the Bible change? Did our, you know, did our faith change? Like, what changed that allowed that sort of editorial decision to get made? And so I was thinking about that and thinking about uh, this neuroscience article, and we had some pretty stressful events this past week, and there were some... Um, a few things that happened where uh, people had some conflict and just got me thinking about language and how we treat each other and what we say to each other. And is there is there some direction from neuroscience that we could get that would be helpful there? Is there any direction in scripture that we could get? Um, so I thought it might actually be helpful to look at the neuroscience and neurochemistry and spirituality of cussing and just see if we can learn something from that. Um, and maybe when we speak and when we write, we can think about these things in a different way. Luke 6.45 in the Bible, Jesus says, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So today, let's take a look at our words. It's always good to think about our thinking, but it's also good to think about our speaking. So we're going to do that. We're going to look at the neuroscience, neurochemistry, and spirituality of cussing, and we're going to start today. All right, so um, there is a famous neurologist named Paul Broca. Broca lived in the late 1800s, mid-1800s. And one of the areas of the brain is actually named after him. The dominant speech area in the frontal lobe is called Broca's area. Broca did all this language research and and was one of the guys that figured out about a condition called aphasia. 
So aphasia is a condition, there's several different types, but in, in general, it's a condition where you cannot communicate with spoken language well because the parts of your brain that produce uh, reasonable and intelligible speech are damaged in some way, usually from a stroke, sometimes from a brain tumor or a head injury. But Broca noticed in 1861 when he reported a patient who retained what he calls Socrenome de Dieu. Socrenome de Dieu, basically the, the sacred name of God. So this person had a stroke and couldn't speak, but could still say sacred words or foul words, so curse words. So this particular patient had the, retained the ability to cuss and to use deity type words despite the loss of the ability to communicate anything else that made any sense. So obviously Broca figured out that there was something special about certain words that are saved or stored or retrieved in different ways than normal words. There's a, an article by a guy named Charlie Wood in brainfacts.org, and I'll put the links in the show, and a really great kind of overview of the neurochemistry of, of foul language and what happens to our brains when we use certain words. <clears throat> and he's talked about how the idea of people with Tourette syndrome, which of course is a, a neurodegenerative uh, condition where um, people have these uh, impulses that fire in their brain and they engage in repetitive, unusual activities, sometimes violent ones, and sometimes a very strong language that comes out that they can't control. And so he noticed, uh, he, he, re- he uh, references some research in this article, uh, Charlie Wood again in brainfacts.org, um, talks about how the idea of uh, catharsis, there's something that's released in, in Tourette syndrome, there's some sort of pressure that builds up in the neurochemistry needs it to be released. And so these uh, repetitive firings are how those people um, get rid of that stress, that uh, internal stress that's building up. And he applies that to the idea that when you cuss, um, you get this sort of emotional catharsis, right? It feels good for some people to let out um, a bunch of expletives. It's, it's sort of like punching a wall without having to punch it. From a neurochemistry standpoint, you get the same sort of changes in your brain when you release stress by cussing as you do by punching something. So dropping an F-bomb on somebody or cussing somebody out is almost... Chemically, this produces the same sort of things in your brain as a physical act does. And even more interestingly, when you hear that language, when somebody gives you a good cussing or says something harmful to you in in terms of foul language, your basal ganglia, the part of your brain that's involved in Tourette syndrome, reacts like you've been physically injured. So the, the chemical act of swearing produces a, a same kind of chemical change in your brain as fouling as uh, actual physical acts like punching do but receiving curse words produces the same type of wound in your brain as actually being struck does very interesting so people who receive the uh, bombast lambast of your foul language react physically and emotionally as if they have been physically wounded. And you know that. If you've ever received a good cussing from somebody, you know how it feels. You walk away feeling like you have been physically attacked, right? And the the reason for that, the underlying reason for that is down in the amygdala, the very emotional part of your brain, the ancient part of your brain, the, the, the stuff that's old that animals have too, that's not as refined and finessed as our frontal lobes, which is really what makes us human, the amygdala down deep can't separate a threat 
It just perceives a threat. So it can't separate whether it's a verbal one, a physical one, uh, a real one, or an imagined one, a, a worry, or an actual you know, snake under your feet. The, the amygdala can only produce the response of fear, threat, pain, that sort of thing. The amygdala can't sort it out. So emotionally, the, the things that trigger inside you when you when you cuss or when you receive a cussing are the same as in physical activities, punching, fighting, being punched, being hit, which is really pretty amazing because it, it gets down to fear and threat detection. And so what I'm interested in, some people even break out and sweat and have other emotional reactions, physical reactions to the emotion that they're feeling that's being triggered by the amygdala in the older parts of the brain. And what I want to get at here is the idea that when you choose the kinds of words that you use in terms of uh, dealing with another person, you really are choosing whether you're going to wield weapons against that person or not. You, you are actually making a decision if you uh, swear at somebody, cuss them out, call them certain words, say th- certain things to them, you're actually basically assaulting them with your words. Because in, in their brain and in their heart, they are going to receive those words as a physical attack. So don't think of it lightly to use your words in that aggressive way as a as it's just you venting or getting something off your chest. Because you're actually choosing to attack someone and they're going to experience that attack in the, in the exact same way as they would if you physically attacked them. And so I would, I just want to plant the idea that, uh, especially if you're a Christian out there, the idea that choosing to assault someone with your words is really, it's verbal abuse. It's a form of abusing someone. So both, this is really interesting to me too, the amygdala and the basal ganglia, these two parts of the brain that we're talking about, are part of the, what the evolutionists call the old part of the brain. I believe God created it all at the same time, but basically Lower animals have these parts of the brain too. The frontal cortex, the, the higher stuff, the, your cerebral cortex is what gives you a lot of the, the skills that you have as a human being, the ability to dissect your thoughts before you allow them into your brain, the ability to control your tongue, to control your behavior. The reason you don't punch the wall every time is because your frontal cortex can get involved and you can basically override those deeper parts of the brain. But cats and animals, when, when you scare a cat or threaten a cat, what does it do? It hunches up its back and it hisses, it gets bears its claws, it shows you its teeth. That's amygdala. That's the deep part of the brain where there's a threat and there's a response and you can't stop it. So when you cuss, basically, you're firing from those deep hissing parts of the brain. And your frontal lobe can override it. And usually, at least in my experience in the in the times that I've done those things, I usually know before the words come out of my mouth that I shouldn't say them. But the amygdala can can sort of win if you are overdriven by the emotion. The amygdala, the deeper parts of the brain can win and the hiss comes out. Except in humans, it doesn't come out as a hiss. It usually comes out as an F word or a blankety blank on somebody. And so you've got this link between emotion and the deeper parts of the brain, amygdala and basal ganglia, and the interaction of the frontal cortex and your willpower and your ability to choose the words that you say. Those are all linked together. Okay? Now, as Christians, 
if you're a Christian. We should consider how our words are perceived in our culture today. In other words, if I'm going to use a particular word, what is the person that hears that going to think I mean? What is a particular word like the F word? What does it mean in our culture today when somebody hears me say that word? What am I trying to communicate to them when I use that word? How are they going to feel? How does it feel when I hear the word and somebody says it to me? And is there any way that particular word can build somebody else up or does it ever benefit somebody to hear that word? Now, the bottom line is profanity is never helpful. It never builds somebody up. It doesn't ever make somebody better for you to cuss them, does it? It doesn't. It doesn't ever help the other person. It always hurts. It's always a negative impact. So the question for you is to look at what Jesus said in Matthew 5.22. In Matthew 5.22, Jesus made it pretty clear. He said, if you say to your brother, if you're angry with your brother, you're going to be judged. If you are insulting your brother, you'll be judged. If you call your brother a fool, you will be judged. So Jesus says, be careful with your words. Be careful with your words because I want you to be kind to your brother and your sister. So the idea then is if we're going to have this amazing brain that God gave us, it's got a frontal cortex, and we are in control of thinking about our thinking, and we have the ability to put a stop between our basal ganglia and our amygdala and those deeper parts of the brain and the hissing cat type thing, if we have the ability to put a filter in there and a pause and a stop, then do we have a responsibility? If you have an ability, do you have a responsibility? And Jesus says, don't cuss your brother. Don't call him a fool. Don't give him a swearing or I'm going to think about you in a different way. So I just want to kind of get you thinking about your words today. There's a really good article in Christianity Today by a woman named Carolyn Arends from back in 2013. I'll put a link in the show notes. And she makes some really good points. I'm going to read a little bit about what she said here. She started with the idea that her her little girl said, you know, Mommy, why can't we say certain words? Why why isn't elbow a cuss word? Why isn't thumb a cuss word? Why, Why is that particular word bad and this particular word's not? And she says, there is something kind of absurd about the designation of particular words as being profanities. And yet, neither table nor elbow is in the cursing category. Here's the, Here's a really important point she's about to make. The majority of swear words relate to either biological functions... God's name in some way, or association with sex or waste elimination. So you think about it for a second. Every cuss word you can think of has either God's name involved in it, Jesus's God's name involved in it in some way, or some type of biology, defecation, waste elimination, or sexual function. So all of the words that we kind of, as a society, agree to that are cuss words have to do with those things, God, waste, biology, sex, right? So what are we supposed to do when God says, don't use my name in vain? What are we supposed to do with that? Language is kind of a social construct, she writes. And we agree that everybody kind of understands that certain words are taboo. Certain words are foul. Certain words are dirty, if you will, that we're not supposed to use them in church, right? Everybody kind of knows that. Even if you are a person who swears, you still know that there are some places and times when you're not supposed to do those things. Why? Because those words are kind of agreed upon 
by society that they are foul language, right? Now, of course, words only hold the power that we give them, but curse words have a different kind of power because they hit the brain in a different way. And so if you understand the neurochemistry here, that you understand that certain words are going to be received by the person that hears them as actually injurious, as actually triggering the emotion as if you had punched them, then that should change the way you think about how you choose to address other people because you are not only using words that society and the Bible would say are are profane, but you also are choosing to use your words as a weapon that will, in fact, injure the other person, at least emotionally. It's what you're doing if you choose to injure someone and you know that it's going to injure them before you do it, then that means you have contempt for them. It means that even in, even if it's just in that moment, you have contempt and hate in your heart for that person instead of love. Contempt is a toxic thing. It's a mixture, this lady writes, of anger and disgust. You're expressing something from a position of superiority. You're choosing to denigrate, devalue, and dismiss them with your words. And it's not hard to understand why even a little bit of contempt really hurts people, whether it's in a marriage or in a friendship or in a work relationship or anywhere. Contempt is harmful. And so if profane or foul language has this privileged place in contemptuous behavior, then Christians ought to have a serious... um, thought before they engage in that type of language because God never authorizes us to view anybody else with contempt. In fact, God never authorizes us to do anything but love other people. God never says the phrase, God damn, for example, because God doesn't damn people. He gives them free will and he wants them to be saved. The Bible says over and over and over, God does a lot to try to save people. And it's their free will. If they end up not being with him for eternity, it's because they chose not to be. So when you say that you hope God damns someone, you are saying something that God doesn't do. You're putting yourself in a position above God almost to say that you think that you should ask him to damn someone to eternal hell, and he's not even willing to do that. So you need to be careful with your words is where I'm going. What does the Bible say? Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Ephesians four twenty nine and 30. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. The NIV there says, let no unwholesome talk escape your mouth. There's not a lot of wiggle room in the word no, is there? Let no unwholesome talk. Don't use foul or abusive language, but let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Listen, we're living in some dark times right now, friend. Things are hard. There's scary stuff. There's global pandemic and there's riots and there's cancel culture and there's all these things that are happening and it's scary for people. People are afraid. And the last thing they need, the last thing another struggling human being right now needs is for you to abuse them with your language. The last thing they need is to be discouraged by you instead of encouraged by you. 
And so I would encourage you, I would encourage you, I would implore you to think about the words that you speak. James chapter 3. Let's go through this. This is kind of a um, bellwether test of what you ought to be doing with your tongue. James chapter 3, New Living Translation. For if we control our tongue, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. And let's not forget Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Love must be sincere, Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. So my question for you, friend, is this. Is your language or the words that you choose part of what is possible as far as it depends on you? Can you, when you are enraged, when someone has hurt you, when you are offended, when you are scared, can you bridle your tongue? Can you take that step of going as far as it depends on you to live at peace, to not be the one who damns another person, who hurts another person with their words, who uses language that will injure that person in their spirit? Spirit. As far as it depends on you, can you bridle your tongue? Here's the deal. What separates us from the apes is our frontal lobe, our frontal cortex that God so wonderfully designed. The fact that God gave you and gave me the ability to control our thinking and critically examine our responses to the various stimuli that life throws at us before we act, before we speak, before we react, that's what separates us from the apes. We can think about our thinking and we can control it. And we know from neuroscience that cussing comes from the same place that makes a cat hiss when she's mad. And Jesus said that you are in great danger if you curse others because not even God does that. So I leave you with Proverbs 17 again. 
in the Passion Translation, Proverbs 17, 27, and 28. Can you bridle your tongue when your heart is under pressure? That's how you show that you're wise. An understanding heart keeps you cool, calm, and collected no matter what you're facing. If you're not spiritual, if you're not a spiritual person, then the question for you in regards to your speech are these. What do you want other people to get from you when you speak to them? Do you want them to get blessings or do you want them to be wounded? What do you want to be, how do you want to be perceived by others or what do you want them to take from your conversations when you are interacting with other people? What do you want them to get and walk away with? Do you want them to remember the wounds that you gave them? Do you want them to remember the coarse humor that you used or do you want them to be influenced by your behavior and your language and your self-control? Now, if you are a spiritual person, how do you want to represent God in the world? And how do you want him to view your heart? Do you want to make people feel shame and contempt? Or do you want them to think that you're a person who's not in any way separated from the world? If you're a writer, how strong is your ability to communicate with words? And do you have to resort to those words that trigger basal ganglia type things? Or can you write in a way that makes people use their own frontal lobes to, to fill in the blanks of what you're saying and, and, and use their imaginations and, and be influenced and improved and bettered and strengthened by your words? Or just, do you going to just write the easy thing? If you're an influencer... What picture are you painting for your followers? If you're a business owner, what picture are you painting for your clients and customers about who you are in your social media posts when you choose to use foul language? What Are you alienating a percentage of your potential clients and customers? Are you allowing the, the ones that resonate with that type of language to think that you're no different than they are? If you're a Christian, are you different than they are? Should you be different than they are? Does that matter? I'm not telling you. I'm just asking you. Let's talk about taking the Lord's name in vain for a second. One of the Ten Commandments, right? It means something bigger than just using His name when you say certain things. What it means to take the Lord's name is sort of like um, when you get married. You know, traditionally women take their husband's name, and so if you know when Lisa married me, she took my last name, and she's now Lisa Warren instead of Lisa McDonald. So she took my name, and so what the what that the Implication is when you accept Christ as your Savior, when you identify yourself to the world as a child of God's, you have taken his name. And if you go around and you live in such a way that dishonors his name, if you live in such a way that people don't see him in you or don't see him reflected well in you, that's taking his name in vain. You are using his name inappropriately even if you don't speak words that, that use his name inappropriately. So this idea of how we live and how we choose to use our language and how we choose to let our frontal lobes either influence and, and calm down our basal ganglia or amplify it is in our control and it reflects how much of God's influence we have in our life. I'm going to do a podcast sometime that's going to be about the difference between Savior and Lord. John Bevere wrote about this. All, all of us who are Christians want Jesus to save us. We recognize at some point that we're sin, we have sin, that we need cleansing, that we need salvation, and we want him to save us. And we understand that he died on the cross to do that for us. So we, we we're happy with the idea of having a Savior. But not many of us are comfortable. <laughs> My phone just dinged. Not many of us are comfortable with the idea of having a Lord. And what does that mean? When you have a Lord, you let somebody else 
influence and control your decision making. You, you, you defer to their direction. You defer to his guidance and leadership and you let that lordship influence the way that you think and speak and step and behave in the world. Because he didn't just save you and wipe the slate clean so you could keep living like you were living. He saved you so that you could be free and live in a bigger, more expanded state of who you're designed to be. And that involves using your frontal lobes to reflect and carefully process those impulses that your deeper parts of your brain generate so that you can navigate all of that stuff and come out changing your mind and thereby changing your life. I want to cultivate in my life, for example, in my operating room, I want to create a culture where people feel safe, where people feel comfortable, where I'm never going to verbally abuse them. I'm never going to use language in my room that might negatively impact somebody. I'm going to create a culture where people don't feel comfortable cussing in my room. Why? Not because I'm holier than thou. Because I don't ever want my words to be the thing that keeps people from seeing who I really am or seeing who they could be. I don't want to ever create a space with my words that's harmful to somebody else or dangerous to somebody else. I don't ever want that. I want my language to be careful and controlled and thoughtful. I want to be willing and able to bridle my tongue so that I can show that I am wise. I'll leave you with Psalm 19. I think it's useful. Keep my heart from presumptuous sin, he says. Let's look at it, starting in verse 12. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Keep your servant from presumptuous sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Friend, before you speak, say that prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock. Friend, if you're a writer, before you write, Say that prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Be under his lordship. If you're a social media influencer, if you're an artist, if you're a musician, if you're posting out there somewhere, think about what you're posting. If you're a Christian writer and you have an influence uh, of thousands of people on Instagram or Twitter, say that before you write your post. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Would that change the words that you choose to speak? Proverbs fifteen fifteen says, For the despondent, every day brings trouble, but for the happy heart, life is a continual feast. Friend, you get to decide that. And from a spiritual and neuroscience perspective, your heart and your brain are happier when you filter your language because you don't go through that emotional turmoil of wounding people with your words and knowing that you're doing it. You, you can filter out the hiss. You can filter out the hunched up back of the cat by using your frontal lobes to calm things down. Using the higher parts of your brain is good for you, and that's why God made you that way. And it's a choice that you get to make. You get to choose. Are you going to react and respond in your primitive brain, or are you going to react and respond in response to your frontal cortex that only us among all animals have that amazing ability to control how we respond to our thinking and to external stimuli. Do you see the choice? I pray 
that every word I speak in this life from this day forward, because I always haven't been, but I pray that every day from today forward, every word I speak in my life helps somebody else. And for me, I can't see how using profanity in any context, even when I'm mad, helps me achieve the goal of helping other people with my words. If we're supposed to be God reflectors in this life, then we have to mimic what he says and what he does. And he doesn't curse people. He doesn't damn people. He dies for them. He loves them. He rises to show them compassion, Isaiah says. He searches the ends of the earth to find people who need his help. He leaves everything. He leaves everything to go and find the one who's lost. He never, ever curses or damns people. They do it to themselves. He doesn't do it. So why would we do it? If we want our brains to become healthier, feel better, and be happier, my friend, we have to learn how to bridle our tongues. That is how we handle the hard parts of life. It's how we show ourselves that we're finally getting wise to the secrets of becoming infinitely happier. This is self-brain surgery. It's biblical, it's neuroscience, and it's good self-care. It will help you to learn how to bridle your tongue when your heart's under pressure. And it will help, but you have to start today.
Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.